seated. Good evening to you. Acts chapter 12, Sunday night through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Chapter 11 ends with the, uh, a focus that it had upon uh, the uh, missions focus of the early church moving from the city of Jerusalem to uh, the Gentile city of uh, Antioch, and so including the ministry of Barnabas and also Saul of Tarsus, who is uh, to become uh, uh, the Apostle Paul. In chapter 12, the focus turns back to Israel and back specifically to uh, the city of Jerusalem. And now about that time, Herod, the king, who was the recognized king of uh, Rome over the area of Judea, southern Israel, including Jerusalem at that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. And that harassment was more than what we might call harassment. It reaches kind of the ultimate expression of harassment, and that is uh, the murder of another human being. And then he killed James, the brother of John, uh, with the sword. And so thus far in the book of Acts, virtually all of this kind of persecution, the most dangerous uh, expressions of persecution has been leveled against uh, the rank and file uh, among uh, the Christian church, the early church. The apostles have thus far been largely spared uh, this kind of uh, persecution, probably because of their prominence. And now that this persecution is moving now into the ranks of the apostles and the and the highest ranks of leadership uh, within the body of Christ, it's an indication of how emboldened uh, the enemies of Christians and the enemies of the Word of God have become, uh, not in the rest of the world, but in the city of, of Jerusalem at that time. Now Herod ha uh, kills John, or James, and he, he martyrs him out of a desire to uh, curry the favor of the Jewish religious leaders at that time. In other words, it is a purely political decision. He makes this decision not on the basis, obviously, of right and wrong, but in order to, uh, as is so often the case with many politicians, certainly not all of them, uh, a, a supreme concern for his political numbers, his approval numbers, and in order to raise those numbers among the political, uh, the religious Jews, uh, he proceeds to persecute the apostles themselves and, and proceeds to execute them, starting with James. James was, of course, one, this James, there are a couple different James in the Bible, uh, but in the early church, James, this James is the brother of John. And he's one of the original apostles. They were the sons of thunder. He was a part of the very inner circle uh, of uh, the apostles. Peter, James, and John went up with Je uh, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and, and in the Garden of Gethsemane and so forth. And so this is that, um, that apostle. And you think about what Jesus poured into the lives of those twelve. Uh, over a period of, of three and a half years, and James uh, was one of those people. Uh, it was his mother who had come to Jesus uh, on behalf of uh, James and John uh, prior to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection in an attempt to secure uh, the seat on the left hand and the right hand of Jesus in eternity. Not asking much. Uh, but just the most two prominent places in heaven forever and ever for, uh, for my uh, sons. And so uh, that is the John. You think about and imagine the shock in the early church of having an apostle uh, killed. So the apostles are alive at this point. 
Now all of a sudden one of them is martyred or murdered, and uh, now he is gone in terms of uh, his influence in their lives, his influence in uh, the early church, his unique voice as one of twelve uh, of, of the apostles. And it's probably the fact that uh, this uh, martyrdom had reached now into the ranks of the apostles, uh, that while we have no record of uh, a, a continual prayer meetings for James related to his incarceration and his martyrdom, uh, immediately when Herod now uh, arrests, as we'll see in a moment, uh, Peter with the same intent, they immediately gather together for prayer. And realize this is not a game, this is not a harassment of putting them in jail for a few days and telling them to quiet down, uh, but this is now life and death, uh, the, the turn of events in terms of, of persecution there um, in, in the city of uh, Jerusalem. Herod was, and sometimes it's just, uh, even more hard to keep track of the Herods in the Bible uh, than it is sometimes to keep track of the Marys in the Bible. And uh, he was an Edomite. He was recognized, as I mentioned, by the Roman Empire as the, the governor of Judea at that time. He was the grandson of Herod uh, the Great, who uh, uh, ordered the murder of all children two years and younger in the city of Bethlehem at the time that Jesus was born in order to uh, uh, kill Jesus right at the beginning, any kind of threat to his power and to him being called a king uh, among uh, the Jews. He was the nephew of Herod Antipas. It was Herod Antipas, his uncle, who ordered the beheading of uh, John the Baptist, as we saw in the Gospels. And so it's a really, truly awful, awful uh, dynasty uh, in, in the ancient uh, world. The Jews despised Herod. Uh, because uh, Herod and his family, they were Edomites, and they resented being uh, ruled by non-Jews, by Gentiles, they, and by, specifically uh, by the Edomites. Herod knew this, and so he began to persecute the church in order to gain uh, the favor uh, of the Jews. And so the means of death, we're told, is that John was martyred with the sword. He was uh, beheaded. And so you have the stoning of uh, de uh, the deacon Stephen in earlier chapters. Uh, first Christian martyr recorded in the book of Acts, James the first among the apostles uh, to be martyred. According to church history, uh, all uh, 11 of the apostles, not counting Judas, who, who, who uh, uh, betrayed, and uh, not counting uh, Paul, though Paul could be numbered of, uh, of them in terms of becoming an apostle subsequent to that, but all of the apostles, uh, we're told, ended up dying martyrs' deaths. The only one who didn't is James's brother, uh, John, who lived into a very uh, ripe old age and died uh, in old age, and the author of the gospel according to John and the revelation which God gave to him late, uh, late in his life. And so it's just awful really as you think about uh, the death of our brother James. I mean, anyone uh, who uh, tries to gain the approval of others through the act, an act of violence or to seek the approval of a group uh, that would be gladdened at the death of an innocent man or a righteous man uh, is, as we uh, will see here, that is a man who is headed for trouble, and it is also a nation that is headed uh, for trouble. What pleases us uh, and, and what is required of other people to please us is a real revelation uh, of our heart at its core, and uh, the fact that this group of people at this time could be pleased by this death uh, of this man reflects very, very poorly, not only on Herod, uh, but also upon uh, the, the uh, religious Jews and the religious leaders in Jerusalem uh, at that, uh, that time. We notice next that the arrest of Peter, the apostle Peter, by Herod for the same purpose of martyrdom, 
and because he saw that it pleased the Jews. And so this is uh, very good for his polling in Jerusalem. It's very anti-Christian at this time, uh, very anti-Word of God at this time. And so he saw that it, it had it, killing James uh, had uh, that needed uh, bump in his polling. And so now uh, he proceeded further than to seize Peter uh, also. And uh, now it was during the days of unleavened uh, bread. And so it's in the spring of the year, uh, the time of the Passover in the Jewish religious calendar. You would have the Feast of Passover uh, in that springtime. The Passover is a single day in the Jewish religious calendar. It's then followed by seven days that are known as the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where they would remove uh, all of the leaven or all uh, anything with leaven out of their house, uh, and leaven being a symbol of sin in the Scriptures. And so the two uh, holidays, the two religious holidays, uh, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because they butted up against one another, they were often referred to as one or the other, but including uh, the other. And of course, these two feasts represented Jesus. The fulfillment of them represented the fact that in the Passover, uh, God has provided mankind uh, in, uh, with the forgiveness of sins by virtue of the sacrifice of his choosing. That is Jesus, the lamb without spot and without blemish. Now, after having been saved, so to speak, on the day of Pentecost, now becomes this long period of sanctification in our lives. God, work of His Spirit now uh, removing the leaven from uh, our lives and making us holy. And all of that uh, was represented in uh, these feasts. And so uh, when He had arrested Peter, He put him in prison and He delivered him to four squads of uh, soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after the Passover. They didn't want uh, to perform an execution uh, during the Passover. That would have kind of blunted uh, the political effect that he wanted it to have. Uh, that would have blunted uh, and impacted the sensibilities of, of the Jews to do that uh, during one of the holiest periods in, in Judaism, though it was being horribly represented and, and treated at that, at that time. And so he, uh, he holds off on that and then uh, arresting him. And he, and he delivered him, imprisoned him, and delivered him to be kept by four squads of soldiers, four squads of four. So you had the Jewish calendar, or the Jewish day is made up of six in the morning until six in the evening, that's the day. And then from six in the evening until six the following morning, that is the night. And so you would have these uh, three periods of, uh, of four-hour uh, blocks of time or four periods of three hours blocks of time, and they would kind of break it up like that. You four have the first shift, you have the next shift, and, and so forth, all the way around the clock. He was always being kept uh, by... Uh, by these soldiers. As we'll see in a moment, he was shackled to two of the soldiers inside of the cell continually, and two stood outside of the cell. And you think, why the extraordinary uh, links that he is going to here to keep Peter incarcerated? Except that we remember earlier in the book of Acts, chapter 5, I think it is, that when uh, the Jewish religious leaders uh, arrested uh, Peter and the rest of the apostles, that they were supernaturally, miraculously delivered from uh, that arrest and then taken uh, out to continue to preach the gospel there in the city of Jerusalem. And so uh, Herod has probably heard about that. He's not going to take any kind of risks related to this. But uh, trust me, it takes more than 16 uh, soldiers to, to uh, keep someone that God is intent upon uh, releasing. And so, you know, have fun storming the castle. Uh, you're not going to uh, 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 be successful at all. And so, Peter was therefore kept in prison, uh, but constant prayer was offered to God for him uh, by the church. And so, that church there in Jerusalem, they're praying for him, 
and praying for his release and, and so forth. And when Herod was about to bring him out, uh, the night before he's going to, to execute him the next day, that night Peter was sleeping, uh, bound with two chains between two soldiers. That's a good sleeper uh, right there. You read in the book of Ecclesiastes and it talks about all these things about um, when you grow older and one of the things is, is that you, you wake up at any sound. You find yourself as an older person longing for those teenage years or uh, in your 20s where you could just sleep these long hours uninterrupted. But enough about my problems. He is a sound sleeper here and, uh, and he's bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards uh, before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, and the Lord kind of waits until uh, really the last moment before he delivers him, before his, his execution, and then he brings deliverance in. And I think probably all of us have had times where God has brought deliverance in our situation um, earlier than the last moment, but a lot of times he waits to the last moment because he's going to uh, nurture and he's going to refine uh, our faith. And so uh, here he is, here is Peter. He is um, sleeping, uh, sound asleep in this, uh, in this circumstance. And so behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, enters into the cell, and a light shone in the prison, a supernatural uh, light associated with the angel. And then um, he uh, struck Peter on the side to wake him up. That's an interesting word, struck. He didn't nudge or whisper in his ear or anything like that. He has to strike him in the side uh, and to, to wake him up and then to raise him up. You ask yourself, how in the world can Peter be sleeping so soundly when his life is in jeopardy uh, for the very next day? And I'm convinced that Peter was remembered a promise that had been given to him by Jesus when Jesus restored him back into his public ministry, following Jesus' resurrection, following Peter's three denials of him. And when he spoke to, to Peter about how he would die, when he was an old man, he would be bound by others, and he would die by means of, of crucifixion. And Peter knows he's not an old man yet. So he has a promise from God that he's going to die in, in old age, so to speak, be martyred, but not at this time in his life. He's resting in that. And of course, the, the greatest thing that we can do in a circumstance like this, and the, and the clock is, time, is ticking and it looks like time is running out, is to uh, take a promise of God from his word and to hold on to that promise and and, uh, and, and believe that God is going to do something here yet related to his uh, word and then to commit our circumstances uh, to the Lord. So often I will, um, when, when I, you know, we're praying for people on, on a, the, the prayer chain or the prayer list related to the church and, um, and these prayer requests can come in and and they are often very, very sobering and very, very difficult, the circumstances that people are in. These are deep, deep trials. And uh, one of the things I will typically pray for them is for God uh, to bring something to their remembrance from His Word. Uh, they know all about their circumstances. They are, we are very well aware of our circumstances. But the desperate need of the moment is for us to hear what does God have to say from His throne at this moment in my life and for Him to bring to our remembrance uh, a, a verse from Scripture where we recognize it's from Scripture, it's in its context, God has brought that to my remembrance. Sometimes I will ask the Lord or bring uh, the line of a hymn to their, to their mind or a chorus to their mind, something that lets them know this is what's going on. This is how to see it. Hold on to it while the circumstances are, are playing out because we, we need that at times like that. And, and uh, Peter had that, and it was a part of his uh, uh, rest. And so he struck in the side, and, then, and he raised him up, 
and, and said, Arise quickly. His chains fell off of his hands. And then the angel said to him, Now gird yourself, put your clothes on, get dressed, and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. And so he went out and he followed him. And he did not know uh, what was done by the angel was real. Am I, am I still asleep? Am I, is, this, is this really happening? Uh, but thought he was seeing uh, a vision of some kind. And when they were past the first and the second guard posts, uh, they came to an iron gate that leads uh, out into the city, which opened up to them of its own accord. So here you have these supermarket doors opening up and... Uh, uh, supernaturally the gates of the prison open up for Peter to uh, go out and they uh, went out and went down the street and immediately the angel uh, departed from uh, Peter and so um, this is a no-nonsense angel uh, he there's no like goodbye hug uh, there's no Hey, bro, God bless you going forward. Nice serving the Lord in your life tonight or something like that. It's just like he did his thing and then he, he, headed, uh, he headed out. And so uh, when Peter came to himself, he realized, no, all of this is real. He said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So both of them are, both groups are equally uh, guilty in all of this. And so when he had considered this, he then made a beeline to the house of Mary. Uh, Mary is, uh, this Mary is the mother of John, uh, whose surname was Mark. Mark uh, will join the missionary uh, uh, journeys initially of Paul and Barnabas. And, uh, but he comes from Jerusalem. And this Mary, where this prayer meeting is going on, uh, that, uh, that is Mark's mother. And it gives us a sense for the spiritual heritage of Mark and why Paul and Barnabas would have chosen him to help them on their first missionary journey, in addition to the fact that he was also a relative of, of Barnabas. So he knew this prayer meeting was going on, made his way there where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter uh, knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came uh, to answer. And some of you remember her from Mary Tyler Moore. And, um, and here she is right there. Well, it tells us that's a biblical name. It's a very Jewish name. And uh, uh, Rhoda, and so uh, and so she comes. She's identified by name. Comes to answer the door while the prayer meeting is going on. She recognized Peter's voice, but because of her gladness, she didn't open the gate and let him in, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. So the the name Rhoda means. Um, airhead um, in the Hebrew. Well, you have to put yourself, I'm kidding. You have to put yourself in Peter's place here. So Peter has just escaped uh, for his life from a prison. He does not know when they are going to discover that escape. But he knows that when they do, an immediate search is going to take place of the entire city, and the very first place they would come to find him would be at this prayer meeting. And he runs into this girl who hears his voice, doesn't open the door, but runs in to talk to everybody at the prayer meeting, and they proceed to have an argument while he's standing out there. Oh, being an apostle is not uh, easy, but you love her excitement, uh, of, of course, and uh, the joy at, at this uh, answered prayer. And so she comes in, tells them he's out there, and they said to her, you are beside yourself. Well, the person who's beside themselves is someone who is crazy. So if you ever see someone standing on the street 
and they're talking to themselves. It means they're beside themselves. They're having a conversation with themselves, but they don't know they're having a conversation with themselves. It's their way of saying, you're imagining things. You are crazy. There's no way that he, he is uh, out there. And she, she found it was necessary to keep insisting that she was telling the truth. And they said, and they continue the argument with them. Again, put yourself in Peter's shoes. And, uh, and they said, it's his angel. It's his guardian angel. There's no way that Peter is out there. He's in prison. And, and he's going to be martyred today. And, uh, and we're praying uh, here in this place. And so... Uh, Peter continued knocking. <laughs> See this bearded fisherman knocking on the door. And, uh, and when they opened the door and they saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand uh, to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James. James being a different James. Uh, James is the brother of Jesus who had become kind of the, the head of, uh, of the, the spiritual side of things for Christians in Jerusalem. Go tell these things of my deliverance to James and to the brethren. And he departed and he went to uh, another place, to a place of, of safety. So we see here, um, uh, when God did a miracle in Peter's life, and God does do miracles, but Typically, in our lives, God will do, uh, in, in a miraculous way, He will do only what, what only He can do. Uh, but then we need to use some common sense and sanctified common sense in how to treat and handle the miracle that God has done. So God has delivered him from prison here now, and uh, Peter doesn't presume upon the miracle by running through the streets saying, I'm the apostle Peter and I was in prison. They were going to kill me tomorrow and Jesus got me out. No, the best thing for him to do was to get out of sight uh, for the moment. And so, so he, he does that. He does what he knows is prudent to do uh, there um, in, uh, in the situation. And so uh, he, he handles the miracle in the way that God wants us to handle miracles, not to presume upon them or force God to do uh, other miracles of our, our own choosing, to be thankful for what he's done and now uh, treat, that with, uh, treat it with uh, care. And, uh, and so uh, except for now, except for a brief appearance of the Apostle Peter, in, in Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council, which we'll see when we get there, uh, Peter disappears from the pages of the book of Acts. And uh, the history, uh, the chronology then moves to, uh, then to the Apostle Paul and the city of Antioch. It doesn't mean his ministry ended. It didn't at all. We see that from the epistles that it continued. Uh, but in terms of following him now in the book of, of Acts, uh, the focus moves to Paul and his ministry among the Gentiles. The passage is a, a, a curious one as it relates to uh, prayer. So here you've got a group of Christians. They're in a room. There's a lot of them in that room. And, uh, and they're praying for Peter in this dire condition uh, that, that he is in. And uh, when they hear about a word or proof of God's answer to their prayer, they don't believe it. And then when they go to the door and they see the physical proof for the answer to their prayer, they see Peter himself. We're told there um, at the end of verse 16 that they were uh, astonished. And, uh, and, and I think that uh, we certainly don't want to uh, underemphasize the importance of faith associated with our prayers. Uh, James, uh, who is mentioned here in this very passage, he wrote in his epistle, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, that is pray, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a way a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man and unstable 
in all of his ways. So the importance of faith in our prayer, uh, to believe that God is and uh, that he is the rewarder of those who uh, seek him. I think it's also a great mistake to go to the other extreme uh, related to prayer, and we see this uh, very present in Christendom uh, today, that somehow the effectualness or the effectiveness of our prayers lies supremely uh, uh, and sometimes even solely uh, in our faith rather than in uh, the grace of God. Clearly, uh, these Christians praying, they lacked faith here. They were surprised at God's answer to their prayer. And probably, uh, I think uh, most of us, if we're going to be uh, honest and open about things, most of us have prayed to God, to God concerning things and then, like them, been surprised when God answers our prayers in, 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 uh, in terms of what we've been requesting. And, or we're surprised, and maybe this is what happened to them, they were surprised at how God answered their prayers. And we can be surprised at how God answers our, our prayers. And so we're still to lift up our prayers and our supplications to God, and then to rest uh, in the fact that God's going to answer them uh, exactly as he chooses to, and in, in, a, in an exact um, expression of his wisdom and of his power and of his love. And so we lift these things up to him, and then, then we rest in him. I, I have known Christians who have taken prayer, and they have uh, so loaded the responsibility for the answer to prayer and its effectiveness toward man rather than God, that they declare, they come to a place of even declaring that to pray to God, thy will be done concerning a situation is somehow uh, a cop-out. It's a, it, it, is an, it is to manifest a, uh, an absence of quality of, of faith that's required for God to answer prayer. And so... Uh, that we have to believe he's going to do what we requested, to claim that, and then to hold on to it at all costs. But the fact of the matter is, it's the same James that wrote about uh, how important it is for there to be faith associated uh, with our prayers. He also writes in his epistle, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss. And so, yes, we're to believe his promises, God's promises, hold on to those promises, claim them. But for the specifics of how he's going to answer those prayers and when he's going to do it, those circumstances uh, and, and so forth, we can't say anything superior to God than thy will uh, be done. And, of course, Jesus himself modeling that as he prayed to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if there's any way, any other way for man to be saved, let this cup pass from me, this suffering. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And to, so to criticize that, that kind of a confidence in prayer, in resting in God supremely to do what we need, uh, it, it, uh, it, uh, is, is to miss entirely that Jesus himself uh, made that his model in prayer as well. I don't want to judge anybody's heart, uh, but I, I really feel sad for anyone in a relationship with the God of the Bible and uh, God being so rich in his grace, so rich in his mercy, his faithfulness, his, his goodness to us in that, in that, uh, in that uh, relationship and who would feel any hesitation at all in praying to him about anything. Uh, thy will be done. Uh, anybody that would think that there could be a better answer to prayer than, than God's will would prevail in that situation. I think that, again, going back to praying for people, um, praying for people that uh, put in their prayer requests and needs in their life during the week on our, on our prayer chain or on our, our, our prayer uh, list, sometimes the situation is so complicated. It's so big. It's like, where do you even begin to pray? 
I mean, the prayer is either going to be direct related to this, or it's going to be a three-hour prayer where we try and unpack every line of the prayer and then talk to God about every conceivable uh, thing that could happen in the situation, but may not happen. And then this thing could happen, but it may not happen and until you're chasing your tail in the prayer and, uh, 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 and, uh, and it just goes on and on and on. And to be able to just to say, to look at those situations and say, Lord, you know all about this situation. And, it, it, and it's so simple and it's so clear. The means of deliverance is so clear to you. And, and Lord, you don't need me to take pot shots at what you might or might not do. I just pray that your will will prevail in this situation and in their life above all else. And then I can leave it with God related to, uh, to that need and that complete confidence that I can't pray a better prayer for them than uh, to pray that. And so Peter, as he is uh, here in, in uh, verse 18, then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers that had been tasked with guarding him and guarding the prison, what had become of Peter? But when Herod has searched for him and not found him, uh, he searches the whole prison, he examined the guards, and uh, the idea is, you know, giving him the third degree. It looked like, this looks like an inside job. It can only be an inside job. And so what did you guys do? And he examined the guards and then commanded that they should be put to death. And that was a, it was a capital crime uh, under the Roman Empire uh, for a, a, um, a, a prisoner that was uh, guilty of a capital crime or sentenced to capital punishment. If that prisoner was given to a, a guard, a guard lost that prisoner, then the guard would die. They would take on the sentence of of the prisoner that they lost. It would certainly keep, I don't know how good it was for morale, but it would certainly keep people on their toes in terms of, of looking out here. And so he orders all of them uh, to be put to death. Sometimes I think about uh, this a little bit. And um, you, you know, today, so today our country is so often a wonders uh, why uh, the, the numbers are so low for men and women uh, joining uh, our military. It's a serious thing to come under the administrative head to become a tool uh, for the whims and decision-making of someone as ungodly as a Herod. And the same thing is true today. It doesn't mean that God, if you're in the military, I'm not trying to make their numbers go down even more. And Christians are probably some of the great soldiers in our military. God will take care of us individually in any environment that he puts us in. But to, it makes it hard for people especially people of faith that look at this and say, I am going to make myself a part of a, 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 the arm of a government that is in open rebellion against God and uh, attempting Him to judge it. And, and that's the sad thing about these soldiers. They're just doing their job but they're aligned with the wrong people, the wrong kind of, of leader. And so there's a jeopardy that's related uh, to that. So he orders their death, and then he went down from Judea, from Jerusalem, then to Caesarea, the coastal city of, uh, of, of uh, Israel there, and where uh, the Roman governors uh, stayed and the beauty of, of Caesarea. Now, Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were uh, kingdoms that were 
uh, immediately to the north of, uh, of Israel at that time. And uh, he's very angry with them uh, over some kind of an issue. And uh, they came to him, uh, the people of Tyre and Sidon, they came to him with one accord, having made Blastus, uh, the king's personal aide, their friend. And so they befriended Blastus. They asked if he would um, kind of carry the message that they wanted to reconcile with King Herod over uh, whatever it is that the issue uh, that has uh, uh, created this division and, and, uh, and made Herod very angry uh, with them and, uh, and, to, and to offer to Herod, uh, you know, to, uh, terms for peace. And they, the reason that they did so, it's very political on their part too, not because of any respect for Herod, but because their country was uh, supplied with food by the king's country. And so they depended upon Judah for their, their food. And so Herod apparently agrees to all of this, and he's going to make it an opportunity for him uh, to uh, give uh, the assembled masses here uh, sets up this time for him to give an oration and all of that. And so on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal uh, apparel. Uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian Josephus, tells us that he was dressed in uh, royal robes and that somehow silver had been woven into uh, the robe. So out in the, the Mediterranean, light gleaming on him as he's uh, orating to the people that would have been quite a, a, a sight uh, visually. And so he's in royal apparel, he sat on his throne, and uh, he gave an oration to them. And as he's speaking to the people, the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Um, and Herod believes it. It's one thing for some, someone to be idiotic enough to say that to another person. It's another thing to take it seriously and to ascribe it to myself. I've been pastoring here almost 40 years. I've never had one person say, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. If they were nutty enough to do that, the first thing you would do is strike that down in, in a very, very uh, strong way. Nobody in their right mind who is uh, smothered uh, with praise that is obviously not genuine on the part of people who are dependent upon you to eat should ever take that praise seriously and really ask God, how does God see me? And uh, so uh, the people are definitely wrong in offering this up uh, to uh, this kind of praise, this, this flattery that they're extending to, uh, to him. He makes the greater mistake of then uh, accepting uh, accepting that praise into his life and accepting their uh, assessment. And so uh, we get into verse 23 here, and God uh, was a little less impressed with his outfit and um, his oration. And then immediately an angel of the Lord struck Herod because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. Well, it's one thing to die and to be eaten by worms. It's another thing to be eaten by worms and to die. And that's exactly what happened to Herod. Again, Josephus speaks about it and says that at this oration, this event, um, Herod uh, began to experience intense kind of uh, pains in his stomach. Other historians lay out, we can't be sure, related to them of his uh, bowels coming out and the whole mess that, that became as a part of his death and that he died, uh, Josephus says, five uh, days uh, later. And so here you have um, Herod picking a fight with God by picking a fight with his people. 
and then receiving praise that only God is worthy of. And so God takes and says, then He smites them. It is folly for any human being to take on God in a fight. We can't protect ourselves from the common cold. As I say every once in a while in this regard, we get older, we go to our sock drawer, and we can't tell which socks are black and navy blue. And we are so anxious about going out of the house with two different color socks. And you just stop and think about how small and frail we are. And now I'm going to take on God. And he does. I think one of the reasons that God smites um, uh, Herod so decisively here is that Herod martyrs James. He is intent upon martyring and murdering uh, Peter. And there's no indication uh, that this will uh, uh, not please the Jews even more and more and that his intent would be to go straight on through all of the apostles and kill them all. And so the Lord comes in, whatever the circumstances are, and he brings an end to this kind of pride. And then we're told in contrast to uh, Herod uh, here, we're told that uh, the Word of God grew and it multiplied. And that's what was at the core of all of this. Not, um, not the deepest core was not the persecution of the apostles, but what the apostles represented and the message that they were carrying, which was the Word of God. That's what the Jews wanted stopped, the religious Jews, not all of the Jews. Much of the early church was Jewish. But they, that's what they wanted was this Christian message, the gospel, uh, the Word of God to stop, the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. That's what they were trying to, in this persecution, to bring uh, to a halt. And they're unsuccessful. The Word of God grew and it multiplied. And so uh, here is Herod. He's intent on carrying the messen- uh, uh, killing the messengers of this message and, uh, and, uh, and the message itself. And so God's Word, it always wins. Jesus said, heaven and earth is going to pass away, but my Word will never pass away. Maybe you've heard the old uh, 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 poem, and uh, maybe you haven't. Everybody should hear it once in their lifetime. Uh, the poem called The Anvil of God's Word. It's attributed to John Clifford. And it goes something like this. Last eve I paused beside the blacksmith door and heard the anvil ring the vesper chime. Then looking in, I saw the floor, old hammers worn with beating years of time. How many anvils have you I, uh, had, I said I, to wear and batter all these hammers so? Just one, said he, and then with twinkling eye, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so I thought the anvil of God's word. For ages skeptics' blows have beat upon, yet though the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unharmed, the hammer's gone. And all of human history is a record of that. But for our purposes tonight is to remember that it will be equally true of this moment in history as ever it has been in human history. All of these attempts to cease the enlargement of the kingdom of God, uh, the teaching of God's words, lives being changed, uh, that will never ever uh, be brought to a halt. And so often we can think about these things and we look back and we say, yes, absolutely, but then to just stop and look at our present circumstances in the world and to realize every effort of every Herod, whether male or female, powerful or powerless, they end up in the same, the same place. Now, the Word of God grows and it's multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem 
and, uh, and uh, uh, when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. And that sets the stage then for chapter uh, 13. So Paul and Bar- Barnabas, you might remember from last week, had taken a offering from the Gentile Christians in Antioch to the Christians, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, because it had been prophesied by Agabus that there would be a great famine in the land and they would be uh, in, in real need. And so uh, they had delivered that. They come into contact with, uh, with uh, John Mark, and John Mark then becomes uh, goes back with them, and as we'll see next week, God willing, uh, becomes a part of their uh, missionary journeys. This chapter, before we leave it, it, it really it raises a couple of questions, a couple of important questions having to do with God's ways and uh, the death of his saints. And so you read a passage like this, and the question, at least for me, that fairly leaps off of the page here is, how is it that James dies... And Peter lives. And then the observation that this doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. I mean, in terms of fairness, we would look at it and say, uh, if they both lived okay, if they both died, then okay. But how to explain uh, one of them dying in the same circumstance and the other one being delivered by God in the same circumstance? Uh, circumstance. And typically I want a formula concerning the death of God's saints, and God doesn't give us uh, a formula related to that. And I don't know how to uh, lift off or solve uh, the confusion that we can face in our lives when we see these kind of things, the loss of, of, of one person, and why didn't God do with my loved one what he did with this uh, person over here? Why is this person healed of cancer? And then my wife wasn't healed of cancer, and she loves the Lord and did love the Lord uh, crazy, now with the Lord, and, and all of these, these kinds of things. Only God can answer those questions in, in his way and in his time in our lives. But there's a couple things I think we can know that are helpful in processing this kind of thing in life in a healthy way and in a, in a safe way. The first thing is to remember that in the fallenness of this world, um, bad things happen to good people. You just need to be remember that. And God never promised that we would never have problems. Um, it rains on the just and the unjust. And... Uh, it hurricanes on the just and the unjust. It's just the way that it is. There's a common portion in this, in this, uh, in this uh, life. And so Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. There's no promise that we're not going to I- I incur uh, difficulty and that, uh, that bad things aren't going to happen, uh, n- not uh, to us, I- I- uh, certainly, uh, not to think that it won't happen to us, but then uh, sometimes those that we care about even more than ourselves are loved ones. And so uh, when I'm stumbled as a Christian, when bad things happen in someone else's life or happen in my life as a Christian, it is a failure on God's part, um, but a failure on my part. I have brought an expectation to Christianity that God never told us we could bring to Christianity And so these things uh, happen, and uh, bad things do happen to good people. The second thing to remember is that at these kinds of times in our lives, they never mean that circumstances are out of control, or that somehow God has fallen asleep in all of this, that if he really knew how dire my situation was, or the situation of my loved one, um, he would take uh, take care uh, of this. But James's life wasn't uh, out of control. It wasn't even out of control even in his death. Uh, Jesus, you might remember, had prophesied of it. When again, the mother of James and John came to Jesus and said, I'd like to secure the two most prominent seats in eternity, the one at your right hand and your left hand, for my two sons. And then Matthew chapter 20, Jesus answered and he said, you do not know what you ask. 
And then he asked James and John, are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said, uh, we are able. And so he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup, the cup being his suffering and his death, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. And so God had spoken about what was going to uh, become uh, here uh, potentially that portion in, uh, in uh, James's life. And so James's life, I think, is purposely uh, coupled here with Peter's uh, deliverance in order to reveal that James didn't die because of some lack of power on, on God's part, but to reveal, rather as G. Campbell Morgan put it, he who could deliver Peter and in his wisdom did so, was equally wise when he did not deliver uh, James. And that brings me to the third point for perspective in, in, in all of these kind of things that come into all of our lives, and that is the realization that God really does number our days, and that our lives are really indestructible uh, until... Uh, that time. God numbers our days. Job chapter 14, verse 5, Job prays to God, you have declared the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live, and we are not given a minute longer. Psalm, uh, Psalm 139, verse 16, uh, David writes to God, you saw, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. We think, of course, about the two witnesses, Elijah, probably Moses, during the tribulation period, uh, first three and a half years of the tribulation period. They prophesy. They do great miracles. Everything that the Antichrist tries to do to destroy them is completely fruitless until their ministries are over. And then God allows the Antichrist to take their lives, and then they ascend up into uh, the glory of heaven. And so why did James die and Peter live? I don't have the slightest idea, except that James's ministry was over and Peter's wasn't yet. And so God took James then into home, into the glory of heaven. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Speaking of heaven, I don't know, I can't speak for anybody else, but I think, I, I think we, we feel the same way on this. I have become so dependent upon God's grace in my, uh, in my life and in my Christian life, so dependent uh, upon it uh, that... I don't want to live five minutes beyond his supply of grace to me to live the Christian life in this environment. And when my ministry is over and his grace upon my life for ministry in this world, when it's over, then it's time to clear out. And so he clears us out. And sometimes it isn't uh, clear to us uh, at that moment when uh, it happens. And then finally, I know I gave you a, a finally before, but that was my mistake. It made you hopeful though, didn't it? But finally, and it's important, is just to remember that God's ways are uh, not our ways, but they're infinitely higher. Whatever it is that He does, Pastor Mike opened up our services this morning with a passage from Isaiah chapter 55. God saying, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. And uh, we can fight against that, except then when you become self-aware enough and you come to know God well enough and yourself well enough, you say hallelujah to that. When God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. I, I'm almost as thankful for the prayers that God ignored and didn't answer in my life is the ones that He did. I, my ways are not His ways. And for as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so none of us are immune to these kind of uh, heartbreaks in our life, but God doesn't meet those seasons in our life with silence, but with this glorious truth to hold on to. And I think about uh, that uh, saying that I quote every so often in this regard, God uh, nothing does nor suffers to be done, but what thou wouldest thyself do, couldst thou see the end of all he does as well as he. And it's not wishful thinking or pie in the sky or mind over matter in our our lives related uh, to things, but it's the truth about every circumstance in our life. And one day when our faith is replaced by sight, uh, we will see that it has been true all along as clearly as God sees it uh, presently. Let's stand together now and we'll close in prayer. Father, thank you for this time in your word, and we thank you for how it speaks to us. And I pray, and all of us pray for one another. You know where we are in life. You know the heartbreak that we face. You know the trials that we're in the middle of. Um, you know how confusing life can be to us, and you know our attempts to try and figure uh, everything out rather than to just rest in you and in your heart and in your decision making and in your love for us and I pray and we pray that you would use your word tonight to bring hope and to bring perspective and to even bring joy into the circumstances of our life that can be so confusing through this passage. We thank you for all of the other lessons that we've looked at tonight. We thank you for the work of your Spirit through your Word to thoroughly furnish us unto every good work. And we thank you, Lord, for the furnishing that has gone on through your Word tonight. Thank you for the privilege of studying your Word tonight. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here this evening and you